I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm your co-host, Matt Bernico. I'm your other co-host, Dean Dutloff. On this episode, we are talking to Aaron Green, who is an organizer for an organization called REAP. Uh, REAP, in case you're not up on all your on all the latest acronyms is the religious exemption accountability project. Uh, it is a really fascinating project that is, I think near and dear to my heart as a former uh, Christian university person, um, because this organization is out there fighting the good fight and, um, and uh, empowering uh, and organizing LGBTQ plus uh, at uh, religious colleges and universities uh, where they are, you know, facing uh, all kinds of persecution and discrimination. So it's an organization that's uh, advocating for LGBTQ students. And uh, Aaron is here to tell us all about it. And uh, dang, it's such a cool conversation and also extremely cathartic to hear people like winning things. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, also, as we say in the episode, but uh, we might as well say now, you may recognize Aaron's name from an episode a long time ago, before the pandemic even, in 2019, that Matt did, talking with Erin when she was an organizer with Brave Commons, uh, also doing work on campuses, similar work with LGBTQ plus students. And uh, you can go check that out if you want to, um, and you should. But uh, it's great to hear a little bit more and get an update on how Erin's work is evolving and growing and blossoming in this new extremely rad organization. All right, let's go to Erin. Welcome back to the show, Aaron. Um, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you coming to talk to us about your uh, your ongoing work with REAP. Um, so whenever we have a guest on the show, we like to ask them to just introduce themselves, um, who they are, you know, what you're uh, working on, what REAP is all about, um, and maybe just how you'd explain the campaign. People might remember back a few years ago, you were on the show before, but let's do it all over again so we can kind of refresh everyone's memory. Sure. Yeah. My name is Aaron Green. Um, my pronouns are she, they. I'm a queer activist and scholar. Um, I guess I should mention I just graduated with my MDiv, so that's kind of cool. Congrats. Hey. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I also just came on board with a, a project, an organization called REAP which stands for Religious Exemption Accountability Project. Um, basically an organization that empowers queer, trans, and non-binary students at over 200 taxpayer-funded religious schools 
that actively discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, and what we do is through all different kinds of mediums, civil rights, litigation, documentary film, oral history, research and public policy, we basically work towards a world where queer and trans students on all campuses are treated equally um, with safety and respect. That's amazing. Uh, what a neat and necessary project and one that I'm sure continues to be very hard, uh, but very important uh, to have around. Um, why don't you give us maybe a little bit of history on REAP? What's the impetus for what you're up to and for the organization? When did it start? Uh, yeah, just kind of guide us into uh, where this came from. So the organization is fairly new. I believe that it started in March of 2021. So um, this is like fresh and new and unique. Um, and I think it was born out of really, I mean, there was, there's obviously a need for what we do. There's a, especially, I, I mean, after the Trump era, and I, and I think that would be the impetus is, especially during the Trump um, presidency, there were religious exemptions to Title IX policies handed out left and right to religious institutions. Um, there were also expulsions and people, queer and trans folks, denied admissions to colleges and um, institutions around the country. So, of course, you know, <laughs> there's really no safety net to protect these folks um, besides the previous work that I was doing with Brave Commons. And um, I think that's that's what really made it a thing was just the how how much worse the situation got under Trump's presidency. Yeah, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of people, uh, you, you know, during the during the Trump presidency, a lot of people talked about how you know Trump uh, and you know the people in his cabinet or whatever really emboldened I think um, conservatives in this country to do some things that are I mean blatantly awful. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think maybe what people aren't really recognizing, or at least maybe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe they are recognizing it, but th there's like some inertia behind those things, right? Like the, the Trumpism that was started during the Trump years didn't just, does, it doesn't just end now that it's over, right? There's all this kind of stuff to do in, in the aftermath. No, there's like a, a huge digging in of the heels, you know, those folks who, I mean, with, with Trump, the thing is, is that he gave people permission to be bigots. Um, to be racist, to be homophobic, to be all of these awful things. And they they took it <laughs> and they ran with it. And I think now this, I mean, can we even call it freedom? I don't know what it is. Uh, this sick and twisted form of freedom is slowly being taken away from them. I mean, under the Biden administration, but I think there's a real true digging in of their heels. We could even call it a death rattle. You know, just that that last that last breath or something. I'm hoping it's a, a last breath. But yeah, it definitely was spurned on, um, and it continues now with um, uh, with Trump supporters and people who just want the world to be a certain way. Unfortunately, yeah, it is. Uh, it's so strange to talk about Trump. I feel like sometimes my brain just wants to turn off uh, nowadays because I'm just <laughs> I'm like so I don't know what. No, no, no. <laughs> but I guess this is what I mean is like, it is important to talk about. It's like, 
my brain turns off because I'm like, what what is there left to say? You know, but actually there's like a lot left to say <laughs> about it. Well, and yeah. uh, you know yeah. what? If if we don't talk about history, it repeats itself. If if we don't examine what has happened in our history, it will definitely repeat itself. Um so I mean something like this again could be on the horizon, like if we're not careful, you know, and I'm hoping I'm hoping like like wild that that something like that never happens again but um yeah i think we really we shouldn't forget the things that have happened to us yeah definitely well let's let's take a second maybe and and lay it out um you know really explicitly here so reap is an organization that's um trying to advocate for lgbtq plus students at christian universities um which is really good um i don't know can you just kind of give us a picture of of what it is that uh I mean, I'm not an LGBTQ plus student at a Christian university, but maybe you could just lay it out for us. Like, what are they up against? What kind of things are you all seeing in the field? Um, yeah, w- what is it that I think uh, REAP is fighting against? Yeah, I mean, from even my own personal experience at a private Christian university, two private Christian universities in undergrad, um, the ideology <clears throat> of even the professors will come out and be disseminated even in a lecture. So if you're queer or trans and you're sitting in a classroom, um, like I'll give you an example. I was sitting in my first day of a hermeneutics class at Biola University. And I think just a few sentences out of the professor's mouth. And and the next thing he said was homosexuality is ruining our country. And this is, this is the day where the syllabi is being handed out, (laughs) you know? So, so immediately I was, I was, (laughs) I mean, all the red flags obviously are going off, and I'm like, I can't, I can't be in this class. Um, but, but this is this. That's just a small semblance of what happens on a daily basis in these classes to these queer and trans folks. And then, if you're in that environment and you're just discovering, oh my gosh, I might be queer or trans, you're kind of stuck there, you know. And if your family is not affirming. Um, your family and your friends, you really have no one to go to. So really the only the only resources are something online or through social media, trying to find community, things like that. And that's how we get reached out to basically by a lot of these folks. But it's it's scary. People get expelled. Um, people get disciplined. They get sent to, sent to conversion therapy um, or count, you know, quote unquote counseling. Um, and they they disguise it as something like Christ-centered counseling or something like that. It's really scary and it's really frightening and isolating and and all these, you know, all the bad things basically, um, especially when you're alone. So that's that's what they're up against. And then the worst of it would be the propensity. I mean, because of this treatment, the propensity for suicidal ideation. The propensity for you know anxiety, depression, drug and alcohol abuse, um, all of these different things kind of swirl around this person, or you know they can be susceptible to those things because of the environment that they're in. Can you talk to us a little bit more too about just the strange way that uh, that environment operates and kind of acts on LGBTQ people? Like uh, you know. I think I've heard before talking to friends about these kinds of issues, like the kind of naive response from 
I don't know, average secular liberal types is like, well, I don't know why a student wouldn't just like drop out or like, you know, matric matriculate or transfer or whatever. And I think it's like really hard to like communicate to people what it's like to come out of that kind of environment and be inside of it so deeply and all that kind of stuff. So uh, maybe you could just kind of round out some more of that picture. Like what are the sort of pressures that, um, you know, really create those those environments and, and how do people get sort of stuck in them in the ways that you're talking about here? Yeah, it's actually what you're asking is the number one question I get asked all the time. So like, why are queer and trans students in these spaces? Can't they just get out? Why don't they just transfer? Why don't they leave? Um, it's really not that simple. We should be asking a different question and I'll get to that in a second. But um, you know, if you're between the ages of like 17 and 24, most of the time, or for most students, their family is going to be monetarily supporting them. Um, they're going to be helping out with financial aid, with food, with housing, all these things. If their family members are not affirming and they're encouraging their children to go to a school like this, or even saying, this is the only school I will pay for, um, you know, then sometimes you don't really have a choice as a young um, not financially independent person. The other thing is, is like, I just spoke about this just a couple of seconds ago, that most of the time, these students in those ages don't even discover that they're LGBTQ until they're in that situation. Um, and then they're kind of stuck. So then you're asking about transferring. Well, that requires a tremendous amount of financial upheaval um, I personally transferred from Biola University to Azusa Pacific, and something that that did or in that transitional process was Azusa Pacific did not accept all of my credits from Biola. So that actually prolonged my, my um, undergraduate time from four years to five years. That meant I had to pay for the additional year that I was in college, not just for tuition, but for housing and food. and all the other things I needed to survive. And it's not an easy thing that everyone can just do. I was lucky I had a scholarship. I had a full ride to both schools because of my GPA, but um, it still set me back by a year. And it's a, it's a, it's a you know, it's pretty presumptuous to think that somebody has the financial capacity, um, especially at that age to just, you know, uproot themselves and go to another university or another seminary or whatever. Um, so those are my responses. And the, the better question I, I think to ask or the question we should be asking is, you know, how can we support LGBTQ people in these environments when we can blatantly see that they're being treated differently above and beyond their straight peers. Um, the language surrounding, we've just had a few people on Twitter, a few students have in their opening speeches by their um, you know, college presidents denouncing LGBTQ people in their opening speeches. And th this is like from the gate, you come in and this is like, they're telling you who you are is, is an, uh, an abomination. You know, and they're they're a part of that college community. So that's really those are really the reasons why it's so difficult to kind of get out of there, you know. Yeah, it's really it's really helpful to hear you kind of parse it out like that. I think one of the I mean, 
a really insidious thing that I think on the surface doesn't seem that insidious that uh, Christian colleges do is is that it does make you take all these like uh, wild Bible classes or whatever that don't transfer anywhere, right? <laughs> so you are kind of stuck. That it gets your oh hooks. Oh my gosh! Yes, they get their that's, hooks into you for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, again, it's it's good to hear you kind of parse the problem out. I think it makes it all like it, it makes it way starker if when you put it that way. It's, this isn't just like I don't know uh, private school kids having problems or whatever. There's a there's a larger kind of apparatus going on here that that creates these issues. Um, the other thing, uh, the, the other part of of the reap, um, I guess, equation is that um, uh, REAP kind of calls attention to the fact that a lot of these Christian schools are are actually taxpayer-funded in some ways, which is really troubling, right? Uh, if you have a, a taxpayer-funded, in, in any way, institution that's uh, discriminating, discriminating against LGBTQ students, that's that's not great. It's a bad look, for sure. So how, how does that part of it work? Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. I don't know why it works that way. But so these these institutions are allowed to discriminate based on their religious exemptions and their religious uh, theology or their preferences although they are tax exempt and they are federally funded um (laughs) and that just blows my mind I mean, this is something that this is one of the reasons why we do what we do, because we see the great uh, chasm of logic here. Like, it doesn't make any sense that these institutions can collect these federal dollars, but still claim the right to discriminate based on certain categories against sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, So that's definitely something that we're addressing and I don't, I don't know how that works. I don't know why it works that way. It sounds ridiculous, and it sounds like it doesn't make any sense. These institutions are not churches. They're, they're academic institutions, and they need to be treated as such. They are accredited by several accrediting bodies. That we would, I mean, some of them are accredited by the American Psychological Association, which is wild. Because the American Psychological Association um, disavows this kind of treatment toward LGBTQ people, yet they accredit institutions like Biola, like, well, I don't think they accredit Liberty, but Biola University or Fuller Theological Seminary. These all have APA accreditation. Um, And that is bananas, for lack of a better word. But this is what happens, you know, and this is why we're doing what we're doing is just trying to call more attention to the public and let them know, like, hey, this is where your federal money, where your tax dollars are going. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is pretty bonkers when you think about it. The uh, the APA thing is a really great example of just like uh, I think like the cognitive dissonance that exists within Christian higher education. Um, you know, on the one hand, you have people getting professional degrees, you know, from in, in psychology or, or whatever and counseling. I don't know. And uh, yeah, in yeah. schools that are accredited by uh, the APA, but at the same time, uh, in, a, in an environment that contradicts those uh, those very kind of core tenets. I think that's so fascinating. So so then what what does REAP do in in, um, in light of these things? Like, um, are, is it is it purely advocacy or is there more to the campaign? Yeah, there's definitely more to the campaign. So there is a lawsuit um, filed against the Department of Education. And um, on behalf of over 30 plaintiffs who have been, you know, 
discriminated against in some respect at these institutions. That's one end of it. The other end of it is we we help students organize. This is kind of where I come in. Um, we help students find each other. We help queer and trans students find each other and organize, and we help them if they need to file a Title IX complaint or an accreditation complaint. We try to protect and keep them safe through any means that we possibly can. Um, and that and including like if we need to travel to that university or if we need to uh, be, take part in a protest or anything like that. Like we were just um, at a protest for Brigham Young University where, like I just told um, you, the, the president spoke out against the LGBTQ community. So the, the queer and trans community rallied and did this huge um, back to school pride night. And we were a part of that, REAP was a part of that. Um, while that was happening, I was at Wild Goose uh, <laughs> trying to spread the word at Wild Goose. So we try to, even though we're such a small team, I think we're really powerful. Uh, we try to be where things are happening and we will, like if something's happening at a university, we will show up for sure. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about that university environment, because I think um there's sort of a strange disconnect oftentimes between uh, the administration on the one hand, or as you're saying, professors and so on, and the actual student body. And at Brigham Young, like you said, there's this um, this disconnect happening there too, right? It's the community that is rallying against its own administration, or at least a, a good part of that community. Um, you know, are you surprised at that kind of positive response in conservative communities? Is that something that you see actually all the time? Is is there, you know, how do we sort of uh, track and, and negotiate those contradictions? What's going on there? No, I, I don't think it's rare. I think it's exactly what has also happened in the like evangelical Christian scene. So you have a lot of folks who grow up in these like super conservative, super fundamentalistic environments um, that get thrown into these spaces that are anti-LGBTQ, that have the language that is anti-LGBTQ, all that stuff. Um, and people start to, as generations go by, start to realize how awful this treatment is and, and how horrible, I mean, just the treatment of our fellow humans, you know, like, um, preventing them from thriving, pre preventing them from flourishing. I think that the Latter-day Saint community, the Mormon community, realizes that, that this is something that's preventing their community from thriving and flourishing. Um, even though it's a, it's a conservative, it could be a conservative community, it's also made up of a lot of ex-Mormons. Um, and there's a huge queer Mormon community, as, as we can see. I mean, as an organizer, um, and I spoke to the organizer at the BYU protest, and I was shocked at how many people were there, at how many organizations they got to rally behind them, at the musicians they had at this event. I mean, it was it was amazing and beautiful and wonderful. I, it's, the evangelical com community can learn something from the Mormon community as far as organizing is concerned. I was so impressed. Um, so... I, I think it's just born out of this oppression, you know, and people recognize that people are starting to recognize that and see that and they're sick of it. They're tired of it. 
So they're showing up for each other and it's really beautiful. Um, and I think more and more people are starting to come out of the woodwork. It's a, it's a great thing. And it's something that we want to see moving forward for sure. Yeah, definitely. I was reading a little bit of the reporting about that, uh, uh, the the protests at BYU, the the Pride Night before school started, it, it, it is really fascinating. Like, I uh, if I remember right, I think the article said there's something like a thousand plus people that came out to support them, which is I I don't know. Um, it's not what I immediately would have expected, but but damn, is it good to see it? <laughs> it's so cool. I know it's so beautiful, and I'm hoping that you know because when COVID happened, or, and COVID is still happening, very much so, but last year people couldn't go in person to classes and now schools are starting to open up and you actually have to go and sit in a classroom now um so i'm i'm that makes it a little bit more frightening i think for these lgbtq students because now they're back in this environment they can't like they can't <laughs> you can't get out of you have to sit there and listen to your professor lecture unfortunately or listen to this language coming out or being disseminated by the school. But um, I think that more instances will pop up where events like the one at BYU are going to happen all over the country at private religious institutions. I would not be surprised because I think um, as this movement grows, and I think it is growing, there these folks are going to catch wind of each other and that's really what we want to do at REAP. We want these underground shadow groups. I don't want to call them shadow groups, but I mean, our, our director even coined that term. It's true. There's underground groups at most of these schools. Hmm. And we want to connect them to each other. <laughs> and mm -hmm. we, want, we want them to be connected to other communities and local, local supporters, um, other organizations who will support them. So. I think that the more they see other schools and queer and trans people doing this on their campuses or nearby, because they did this at a park like across the street or something, um, that it'll spark and ignite a momentum around the country at these religious schools for queer and trans people to do movements like this on their own. And uh, we want to be there. We want to support that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um... Well, first of all, let me say that sh the shadow groups, I think that sounds, it, it sounds cool, which I think is really great. It's a great term. <laughs> it does sound cool. Yeah, it does. I love it. Yeah. You know, um, there was a time, uh, which it seems like a, another lifetime ago, I worked at a Christian university and um, I saw a lot of these things that you're describing here happen, right? There's this, there's like the shadow group of students and allies and they're like, you know, underground talking about how much the institution sucks and how they should be more affirming or whatever, yeah. right? And yeah. and I, I guess what's really fascinating, too, is that um, it's not like these university administrators at these uni at, at Christian you know universities and colleges. It's not like they are oblivious or completely naive to like what's happening either. I think that they're they they actively also try to stop them and thwart them. Um, I mean, just like, you know, organizing any kind of thing, whether it's like a, a union or right. or like a student group or whatever. Right. The people in power don't really want you to do that because uh, it takes power away from them. Um, something I always I always saw them doing, uh, which was always very frustrating, you know, is in response to the the concerns that students might raise, they would say, well, you know, let's we just need to have a conversation about this uh, openly on our <laughs> campus and uh, all this kind of stuff. But but really, I mean, 
when you think about it, I mean, organizing is about power and building that power. So I, I guess I wonder what you what you might have to say about th that type of organizing on college campuses. Like how um, how are you working with students to build that kind of power and to build those communities? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it looks like outreach every single day. It looks like showing up to these events where where they're doing something and we want to be a part of that, too, and let them know we're there in solidarity. Let them know that, you know, we support them and we'll do whatever it takes to help keep them safe. Um, we are in contact with several student groups and have access to several student groups and are definitely planning on, you know, being as supportive as we possibly can in any capacity, including if it involves a demonstration or something like that. Um, and sometimes it doesn't always look like that because it could, you know, there's situations at smaller schools or schools that are a little bit more dangerous, like schools in the South, um, where there might only be one out queer student or they're not even out, they're just reaching out to us um, or one or two people. And it's kind of tough to mobilize like some big sort of movement happening like at that particular location. But if we can just at least get them connected to other people at these other schools um, or help them fill out a Title IX complaint or help them fill out an accreditation complaint, those are the little like stepping stones that we can do to helping people and spreading the repu like our reputation across the country as far as like what we do. But um, I think I think people see what we're doing. They see strength in um, the different ways that we're trying to connect with students and that we're trying to help them. We're we're using like every means we possibly can especially through accreditation complaints, which is which is a protection that a lot of students don't realize that they have. Um, so that's an angle that we're taking that a lot of uh, organizations in the past or even now don't do. <laughs> so um, I think because we use so many different means of support and advocacy that it's going to continue growing this movement and just spreading the word because we're grassroots, like we just started in March, you know? Um, so mobilizing people like on a big scale right now seems seems difficult and challenging, but it's, it's also very tangible since students are back in school this year and, or not everywhere, but in a lot of places. And honestly, I look forward to seeing uh, what goes down this year <laughs> with, <laughs> with that happening because i'm not even sure like we have we have a lot you know COVID's going to tell us a lot about what we can do um especially on the ground mm -hmm. you know yeah uh well you know like you said reap is a young uh institution or movement or or both of those things <laughs> however you want to put it for now um but uh i think what is really fascinating about it and just hearing you talk more about it is that it has this um Antennae out for doing, uh, well, as you put it, kind of, you know, pushing all these different pressure points at once. Like there's a legal piece to it. There's this accreditation piece to it. And then there's also the the uh, kind of important community building and uh, creating safe environments piece to it. And it just seems to me like 
trying to pay attention to all those different ways in which power is distributed is actually really, really important. Like, it's uh, easy to get excited about the community building piece or easy to, I don't know, like nerd your way into the legal piece, but uh, really important to hold all that together. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Like, um, how does Reap sort of balance all this, uh, all that kind of power mapping, I guess, and, and think through how to uh, make all that part of one big struggle? We have a badass team. Um, I think we just have a badass team of people who know what they're doing. and. Um, you know, when it comes to like the campus, the campus organizing, I think that's why they brought me on because of my previous work on campuses and in, in doing activism like this for the last six years. And then they have, I mean, just the, a stellar legal team. And um, we have incredible people who know who, and, and I have to mention too, that a lot of people on our team are former students of private institutions of private religious institutions. So, and we're, a lot of us are queer too. <laughs> so we have the experience of being in that space, um, but also we have the knowledge and the, the wherewithal, um, the resiliency to, and strategy, I think to, um, like you said, push all the buttons or push all the pressure points that we can and doing whatever it takes to change the system or dismantle the system. And um, yeah, I think we just have a, an amazing team and I, we're the only organization that does what we do. Um, so it makes it really unique. It makes it exceptionally awesome, I think. Um, and I'm so grateful to be a part of a movement like this working on something that I you know I haven't I haven't seen this kind of particular angle um with a team like using so many different strategies um to help LGBT like to specifically help LGBTQ students at private religious institutions um besides maybe obviously Brave Commons and Soul Force those are probably the only two organizations that I've seen that have done um, really great, impactful work in this particular area because it's so hard to make headway doing what we're doing. Yeah, it seems to me, too, that that willingness to um, take all that stuff on board. I mean, it, it creates a lot of challenges, but if you have enough uh, dedicated folks in a room, it makes such a huge difference. You know, Matt and I spend a lot of time thinking and talking about the labor movement on this podcast. And I feel like that's something that we figured out over time, too, that, you know, uh, it's uh, super, you know, the strikes are what are exciting. <laughs> when people walk off the job, that that rules, you get pumped about that. But it's also like, the extremely boring resolutions that are happening at like the National Labor Review Board are also like, extremely important and figuring out what that opens up and what it closes down uh, really makes a difference for how you do the exciting stuff too. Um, it strikes me that Reap is figuring that out as well. Like what are the real um, limitations and what are the real kind of possibilities that are open to people, whether that's filing a, a legal complaint or an accreditation complaint. I mean, I have to admit, like I would never have thought as a student at all, I'm not an LGBT person, uh, LGBTQ person, but uh, no matter what, I, I, it would never have occurred to me that, like, as a student, you have certain kind of rights related to things like whatever Title IX or accreditation processes. And I imagine that's a, 
a really empowering thing uh, for folks to learn when they're younger and struggling through that. It's pretty unique, um, especially the accreditation piece, because I don't think, and we're, we're educating them now more and more as to this right that they have. If a school doesn't follow its own policy, if a school violates its own policy or its own policy language, that's a grounds for an accreditation complaint right there. So if they, if a school, for instance, has, you know, a private Christian institution has this mission statement that we love and we accept everybody and, you know, let's add this verse and that verse to prove that we do it. But then they have an anti-LGBTQ policy where they're, you know, com- like totally going after um, queer and trans people or saying that, um, you know, using specific language that that tears that person's identity down, um, which happens all the time at these schools. That is something that someone can make a complaint about because they can say, I feel unsafe here. I, I don't feel like this is an equal um, or equitable learning environment for me up against my straight peers. There's tons of different directions that haven't been recognized in the past that we're recognizing and we are taking full advantage of them with these students. So I'm hoping for just a wave of like accreditation complaints, Title IX complaints, everything. Because now students are starting to realize what protections they do have under which categories and and, and under like which um, parts of the institution. So like you said, kind of using the institution against itself. We can do those things and we should do those things. That's how it starts to crack apart, you know? That's how we start to make those little pinpricks um, in the in the system. And I think it's gonna work. I believe it <laughs> I believe it will work. Yeah, man, it's uh it's so cool to hear about it. I I uh, I believe it can work and I want I wanna see all these big schools crying their eyes out about it. That's what I want to see. <laughs> yes. I agree with you completely on that. Well, we've talked a lot about the, um, you know, some of the organizing wins and like the cool stuff that happened at BYU, um, like the positive side of things. I, I wonder if we could talk to you for a second to just to just to be real, to get the full <laughs> the full scope of things about maybe the the pushbacks that you've seen uh, happen in the field um, in, in some of these different schools. Uh, I know at BYU specifically, there was some some very anti LGBTQ plus pushback um, from other students even. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. you know, so, so on the one hand, we have all of these awful, like, um, like institutional problems that, uh, Christian schools will create for themselves, you know, what will, where they will go out of their way to, uh, discriminate against LGBTQ people at like an institutional level. But at the same time, there is this whole like undercurrent of culture at these schools too, of, of like very conservative people who, um, you know, are happy to terrorize their classmates or something. So I, I don't know. What, what do you think about that side of things? How 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 does REAP answer that question? Um, what do you do when things are clearly unsafe for people on campus? That's a wonderful question. And it, it really is. It just comes down to like, it's, it's really scary for a lot of students because not only is their environment at the school like that, but oftentimes their family environment is like that. They can't be out at home um or they can't be out to their family and and friends and so they have to try to navigate this world of like and do it during adolescence <laughs> like 
um, in one of the most difficult times in your life, like navigating this world of secrecy, of, of privacy, of how do I keep myself safe, but how do I fully live into who I am? Um, and I mean, we are trying to address those things as much as possible. I mean, like I said, we will show up. <laughs> We will do whatever it takes for the student to, like, we talk to them, we meet with them. Um, there's all kinds of things that we do with the students. Um, but in that moment that you're describing of, like, isolation and, like, loneliness and having your people, the people surrounding you, like, be against you and stuff, like, there is nothing more horrible than that. And there's Sometimes we can't pull, you know, I wish I could pluck these students out of these environments and take them out of that. I really wish I could. And I'm sure that the team at REAP wishes they could do that as well. But all we can do is do what we are doing now for them, um, besides literally stand right by them, you know, in, in the institution, which I honestly wish I could do. And if I could spread myself into a, a million different pieces to do that I would um, and I'm sure the team feels the same way but um, I do get to use I mean as an as a person that just graduated with their MDiv I do get to speak to these students and offer them care and offer them a listening ear and um, which is wonderful and they they reach out all of the time and they sometimes they just need someone to talk to about their day you know, so it's just the little things. I think uh, being available for them when they need it, and um, never, never stopping what we're doing. I think that's the the way that we can honor um, the the trauma that mm -hmm. these students have to endure every single day is by continuing to do what we're doing and to not stop no matter what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think that is huge. Uh, you know, uh, it's, I'm sure, uh, extremely daunting to kind of face those environments all the time. And when you do that work full time, it's probably also really overwhelming to be like, there's so much work to do and uh, very uphill stuff. But I just think about like, I went to school, I started at a Christian university um, as a freshman in 2008. And uh, it was you know, very bad for the few gay friends that I knew at that time. Um, and I imagine that it is, you know, I hope at least that it is better now, probably still very bad at that particular school <laughs> that I went to. Um, but yeah, just that that kind of connective tissue that you were talking about earlier, of bringing people together and creating a uh, more visibility, you know, and, and access, uh, I imagine does make a huge difference. Yeah, it really does. I, I remember I was at QCF, um, a, before COVID happened and a student from a college, one of these private Christian colleges came up to me and they wanted to start a group and it was just them. It was just that person. Um, but we helped them well, I mean, this wasn't REAP, but I helped them um, create that group. And now it's a massive group at that mm. school. And that's all it takes. 
is just one person having the desire to help their friends and to help um, the other people who are struggling on their campus. And then they find just one other person like themselves. Um, and then it's all downhill from there. Well, not maybe all downhill, but <laughs> but it becomes so much easier when you know that there's someone like you um, going through what you're going through and um, experiencing what you've experienced and whatever. And um, yeah, so I, I just thought about like, gosh, if that one person can do that, you know, that can happen at all these places. And um, it's really amazing to think about it. But yeah, I think that by and large, most of these institutions have gotten a lot better. Um, and, but I do fear for some of the ones, especially in certain locations in the United States that are a little bit um, scarier to be at, like Liberty University, for example. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a scary place to be. So, yeah for sure um but you know there are there's change happening there that we've seen <laughs> go down recently and and hopefully that will continue to be changed for the better for that institution or hopefully maybe that institution will no longer exist we don't know yeah we don't but um <laughs> well good some, some cautious optimism <laughs> yeah. maybe I, I appreciate Very it cautious. the power of prayer um, yeah that's right exactly <laughs> Very big imprecatory psalm against these guys. Well, uh, let's talk for a second about you, Aaron, because uh, Reap is not the first time you've been doing this kind of this kind of work. Um, real Magnificast heads will remember in 2019, you and I talked for a kind of special episode um, where we talked about uh, Brave Commons, and um, that's cool. It's cool that your your work has sort of uh, evolved in this way. So I, I don't know, just maybe broadly, like what what's drawing you to this kind of organizing and this kind of activism? Like, um, what is it that you think is uh, is here for you specifically? Oh my gosh! Well, I started doing it totally on accident. Um, it was funny because I I was just trying to decide where I wanted to go because I knew I wanted to major in biblical studies. That was very important to me. And I knew that the only place I could do that was a private Christian institution. I didn't want religious studies. I didn't want history. I wanted biblical studies. And um, I decided to go to Biola because I did some research and I found out that they had a queer underground group that was pretty big. So I picked Biola for that reason. And I contacted them before I went there and made sure that they were there and like, you know, I would have them that community there before I went to Biola. So I get there and I meet with the, like the executive director and their partner. And they're like, we're actually moving. So we need you to take over because you seem like the perfect person to take over this project at Biola. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like I came here looking for community, <laughs> looking for like a safe haven. And now you're asking me to lead this I don't have any experience doing, I mean, I had business experience from my past, but not nothing like this, you know? So I was kind of thrown into it. And I remember doing my first protests on Biola's campus, like, and I was so scared. I can't tell you how scared I was. And I just thought this is gonna, this is one of the scariest things I've ever done in my life. Um, but there was a moment that I had when I realized that the other people standing with me made it so much less scarier. And I saw the people coming to this protest and this demonstration that I was leading. 
Um, and I was just blown away by that. And then, and then the other piece was the director of communications from Biola University came out <laughs> to see what the hell we were doing. And she, when she came up to me, somebody asked her who's the organizer and they pointed to me and she came up to me and she was shaking. She was so scared. And I realized we have power. This woman is shaking because she's so scared of what we're doing because she doesn't understand what we need and what we're doing. And I thought, this is so powerful. Like I never would want someone to shake out of fear. I would never want that. But I, that was her reaction and I realized the power that we had. Um, I realized that what we were doing was making an impact. And I, because of my own personalized experience in these institutions and hearing these professors talk about gay people, the way they were talking about them and all the awful, horrible things they were saying, I knew that this was what I was going to do. I was going to help people like me at the, at these spaces because it's not so easy for them to get out of them. Um, so I just became really passionate about it and just kind of became the, my niche and the, the thing I wanted to do. And um, that, that first protest, I think, was really me dipping the toes in, in the waters of the activism. And I, and I caught the bug and I was like, this is amazing. I want to be an activist hmm. for this cause. Um, and because it's going gonna, it's gonna to change things, I realized that we can change things. Um, so that's, and then we did change things and we changed, I changed things or helped with a group of students change things at Azusa Pacific University. They got rid of a policy there. Um, so it was, it's working. It does something. And I, I'm an Enneagram three. So like, if I can get something done, oh my gosh, I'm thriving. You know, <laughs> I love it. I love that. Um, ending, uh, uh, ending a sort of narrative about your history into activism with an, an Enneagram number, I feel like is a great tell that you did go to Christian school, um, <laughs> but you've uh, you've turned out as one of the cool alums. So congrats for that, for sure. Thank you so, um, much. so sweet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think it's uh, it's really great to hear about your own involvement in all this. And I imagine lots of other people are curious about how they might get involved, too. So tell us a bit about that. How can people get into REAP and supporting uh, LGBTQ plus people at Christian schools? Yeah. So the biggest thing um, is going to our website, which is www.thereap.org. And there's a place where you can sign a pledge on our website. And you can basically, you know, say that you you want to be involved in these projects um, and involved in what we're doing. Sign up for our newsletter. Um, get to know even who some of the plaintiffs are in our case and and um, see their faces on the website, which is a really beautiful thing. Um, and we are also on the socials following us recirculating what we put out there. That's such a huge help um, because then other students and people, the public get to see what is happening across the United States, like, like the, the protests at BYU, um, what's happening to other students at other colleges. Um, it's a great way to get plugged in. And I totally forget our social media handles right now. 
but um, I think the best way to get in touch with us is definitely through our website. And you can email me also at Aaron at the reef.org. Uh, well, it's great to have you back, Aaron. And uh, I wasn't around for the first one that you did with Matt. So I feel uh, especially grateful to get a chance to just hear a little bit more uh, live instead of just listening to the two of you talk. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you for um, believing in this cause that we're doing and being one of the, or two of the people to put (laughs) this out, uh, like out in the public on your podcast. Like I am so grateful for you and just grateful for folks who are willing to um, give us a platform to say something and to talk about what we're doing. So I am eternally grateful. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, solidarity, the struggle continues and uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Magnificast. If you want to get more involved uh, with REAP and learn more about it, you can go to Twitter and follow them at REAP underscore LGBTQ. Uh, They've got other socials too out there that uh, you can go find yourself (laughs) and look them up for this very moment, which, man, I'm a bad podcast host, but what can you do? Uh, You can also follow Aaron at Aaron Green Bean. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) They're out there. REAP's out there. You can follow them all. Um, All right, our intro music is from Amari Armstrong, and our outro music is by The Illogical Spoon. We'll see you next week. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up, keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Jackson, keep your hoods up, where you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind, a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early, at least I would have.